When I was 19 years old, I moved to Great Britain and lived there for almost a decade, and I was very grateful to call both Oxford and London home. And so you would think I would kind of understand the way the different systems work. When I uh, moved back to the U.S., I made frequent visits back to the U.K. to do more ministry and preaching. And one time on the way uh, going over, I grabbed what I thought was a power current adapter when in fact all I got was a plug adapter. Now, UK current runs on 220 and US current runs on 110. And so I had this plug adapter, but not a power adapter. And so I had a shaver with me and um, I plugged it in when I got over to London, plugged my, my 110 into a 220 and it ran really, really well for about 15 seconds and then blew in a great puff of smoke. I'm afraid that might be what kind of happens to us if we could get fully plugged into the mind of our creator. Sometimes I meet Christians who say, when I get to heaven, I've got some questions I'm going to ask God. Well, well, first of all, if, if you get to heaven, um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be going, I've got some questions for you. You're just going to be going, I'm with him. And you're going to be so thankful to be worshiping there. Job said, Lord, I've got all these questions. And God came to Job and said, I've got some questions for you. And at the end of that interrogation, Job said, now I'd heard about you, but now I know you and I worship you. And we'll be caught up with the angels in glorious worship, worship that will never end because we'll finally begin to understand the jaw-dropping wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus. Paul makes reference to that in this letter that he wrote to a church in Ephesus when he said, now to him, this is chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. If you're new with us today, you've come on a great Sunday. We're starting a brand new series called Beyond Imagination. Look what God will do. He will do something which is exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. This is one of those occasions where Paul writes what scholars call a super superlative, where he doesn't say God will do more than you ask or imagine. He doesn't even say God will do exceedingly more than you could ask or imagine. He gets all carried away and says, God will do exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ask or imagine. Amen. Paul was one of those guys who was so excitable. He was full of a thankful heart because he had seen God change him. And when God captures our hearts with the wonder of who he is, then our hearts overflow with thanks and praise for all that he has done. I want you to use some of that imagination this morning just now. Try this. Try to imagine living in a city with a dense population by the sea. I want you to imagine living in a densely populated city by the sea that had a really big Jewish population and a really big Gentile population where the human body was something that people worshipped and where wealth was concentrated, it was called uh, the Bank of Asia. 
and where, where paganism and spirituality were really very, very fashionable. Try to imagine living in a place where there was at the same time a considerable amount of poverty too, stacked all around the outer reaches of where the wealth was concentrated. Try to imagine living in a coastal city like that with a big stadium for athletic events and entertainment venues and, well, actually, it's not that hard to imagine, is it? And if you know that city, you know Ephesus, which is where this letter is being written to. Paul when he writes this letter is in Rome and he is shackled in chains and he is writing to a group of Christians that are part of a congregation he started. He founded it in a remarkable move of the Holy Spirit. You can read about in the book of Acts. There were 12 people gathered and he came to them and he said, have, have you, have, have, have uh, you um, been uh, filled with the Spirit? And they said, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so he began to preach to them. He shared Jesus with them. There was a great outpouring of God's grace in that city, and the church absolutely took off. It became such a massive movement of God that it says the whole region heard the gospel because of what God did in that city. And the whole city itself found that its worship of idols was subverted. It began to affect the idolatry economy. As people began to turn away from bad practices, and it says that they uh, collected up all their magic books and began to burn them up, and it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. That's 50,000 days' wages is what was being taken out of the economy, and that didn't make everybody happy. And so a riot ensued. It usually happened that wherever Paul went, there was both a revival and a riot. So buckle up, right? When you pray for the Lord to pour out his spirit, it'll look like many, many people coming into the kingdom and tremendous opposition to that work taking place as well. But Paul knew that this church was something that was part of God's plan, and he wanted to write to them and strengthen them. He had put a young pastor in place there, a young man named Timothy. He was leading that congregation. It became one of the most influential congregations of the ancient Christian church. Jesus' mother Mary called that her home church. The apostle John settled there. But it's interesting, a few years later, you read in the book of Revelation that Jesus said to that congregation in that coastal city, you're doing so many things well, but you've left your first love. Paul knew that there were so many things that could seduce their hearts away from the wonder of God's grace. He knew that long before that, that sin began to settle into their hearts. He wrote to them so that they would have a reminder of the wonder of what God had done. His remarkable plan that transcends time and takes hold of their hearts. He starts it this way. This is over in chapter 1 of Ephesians now, if you want to look there. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul 
says you have a dual citizenship. You are both in Christ and you are in Ephesus. And there's lots in Ephesus that's beautiful and lots in Ephesus to rejoice in, but there are dangers too. And that's why you have to be not only in Ephesus, but in Christ Jesus. The idols of your city can carry your heart away, but you want your heart to be carried away with faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one he sets before them. And he does that by starting off his, his letter to them with this remarkable anthem of praise. Now, I'm going to read it to you. And as you follow along with me, if you've got a pen or a pencil and you've got a not just turned on Bible, but a turned open Bible, and you want to mark along with me, I want you to notice every single time you see the phrase through Christ or in Christ, that's going to be very important when we come to the end of our time together this morning, in Christ and through Christ. And what Paul does is he begins with worship. He doesn't begin with teaching. He begins with worship. His heart is full and overflowing, even though he's shackled with chains, because his heart has been captured by the wonder of Jesus. And so he starts off, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely bestowed on us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace that he, he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he, he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And in him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you who were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, this gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I just got to tell you, if you're like a, you know, like you're a, 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 somebody who's into grammar and punctuation, None of that even exists in the original text. It's a 202-word run-on sentence. And every English teacher that Paul ever had was going, what are you doing? <laughs> Paul, throw some punctuation in. Give us some pauses. But he can't. It's this avalanche. It's this cascade. It's this towering wave coming ashore of worship and praise. He can't help himself. His heart is overflowing. He sees the scope, the wonder of what God has done. It's a saving plan that starts before time began. He says he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. And it's a plan, he says a little bit later, that reaches its fullness when time comes to an end. When Jesus restores everything that right now is fragmented and broken. Dis is a prefix in our language, that indicates fragmentation, that indicates things being broken. Disability and dismay 
when you look in Webster's Dictionary, there are over 13 pages of dis-words, thousands of them, because our vocabulary is exhaustible in its effort to try to catalog everything in us that's broken. But Jesus, when he comes, ultimately will take everything in heaven and on earth, it says in verse 8. Take everything that's broken, and at the fullness of time, bring it all back together. Everything that's disintegrated will be restored. And that begins with what happens in our own hearts, in our own souls. He takes the brokenness of our lives and begins to repair it. And he does it, God does it, by working something in us that Paul calls blessing. Blessing. A blessing is a big Bible word. And it's one we sometimes kick around without really grasping its significance. But blessing is not just, you know, I, I came here from Tennessee, and in Tennessee, I know this is not the South, it's the really deep South. This is not the South. But in the South, they would, they would say if somebody did something or said something that was just like, oh no, they would say, bless his heart. <laughs> Which is a way of saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Don't bless his heart. But blessing here, the way Paul uses it, is saying, bless the Lord because he's blessed us. Worship. And praise is a response to grace that God has brought into our lives. Blessed be, he has blessed us. We love him because he first loved us. And Paul describes every one of the three persons of the Trinity as active in this salvation that he's brought to us. The blessing of the Father, the blessing of the Son, and the blessing of the Spirit. Look at these three ways in which blessing flows into our lives. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, the Father, gave us a destiny. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ to himself. My friends, God the Father from all eternity has decided to make you his family. He has decided, here's the blessing, adoption. It's a spiritual blessing. Paul had to write to these people in Ephesus who had tremendous wealth and also tremendous poverty, that they had blessings that they couldn't imagine. It was beyond imagining. If you had wealth, here was a blessing beyond your wildest dreams, that God would call you his own child. And if you were poor and thought you didn't have anything, you are blessed with something beyond your wildest dreams, beyond exceeding abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or imagine. That's what God has done. And the way he's done this is by giving you this destiny called adoption. I'm going to adopt you as my children. Now, in the Roman Empire, that was a very well-known idea. In fact, the emperors were largely the adopted sons of the previous emperors. Julius Caesar had 
adopted Octavian. That's how he became Caesar Augustus. He wasn't his natural-born son. He was his adopted son. And what Romans knew, what Roman citizens knew, is that when you were adopted, you were adopted into and became one with that family and all of the privileges and all of the influence and all of the power and responsibility that were part of that family were now yours. When God says, I'm adopting you as my children, he is saying that you are becoming one with me and my family and all of the, all of the blessing that is part of my son at my right hand is going to be bestowed on you. And that's the destiny we've been given. We've been adopted out of the margins. We've been adopted out of the darkness. We've been adopted out of and into a kingdom which will never end. I'll never forget what that looked like in our own life. Uh, Tony and I are adoptive parents, all three of our children. We were there for their birth, but... Not only do I remember the moment of their birth, precious in our sight, but I'll never forget the very first time I stood in a judge's chambers and my son being held over here. And uh, it was the moment when the adoption was to be finalized and declared. And Judge Daniels looked up at me and he pointed a long bony finger in my direction. And he said, do you see the woman standing next to you? I said, yeah. He goes, that relationship, I hate to tell you this, but he said that relationship could end. You stand here today happy, but there are things that happen and maybe that doesn't last. But do you see that boy in her arms? I said, yes, sir. He said, that relationship will never end. If you say yes to adoption, then your relationship as a father to this son can never, ever be severed or ended. It is the most powerful bond in the law. My friends, God has chosen to adopt you as his own darling sons and daughters. It's the destiny he's given us in Jesus. Why is that important? Because we were the sons and daughters of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who raised a hand of treachery against God and said, we'll be our own gods. We'll make our own rules. And went astray, prodigals into a distant country in rebellion against God. And we were their descendants. But God said, I'm going to take the descendants of a rebel house and make them the sons and daughters of a royal house. God has made you his sons and daughters. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us this spiritual blessing called adoption. But how did he do it? Well, he did it through the blessing of the Son. It says, in Christ, in him, this is down a little bit later, verse 7, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. So we have the spiritual blessing of the Father, adoption. How does that happen? Through the spiritual blessing of the Son, redemption. What God planned in eternity, Jesus entered in history to secure for us. Now that word redemption, note that word, redemption. That word was a common word in the time. And it was used for the liberation of slaves. Now I have to give you some bad news this morning. If you don't know Christ, and it's going to maybe offend you, and I mean to offend you. 
you're a slave. You're a slave. Pastor, I'm not a slave. I've never been a slave to anybody. I'm telling you, you're a slave. You're a slave, if you've committed sin, Jesus said, to sin. You're a slave to passions which dwell within you, which are destructive to yourself and to others, and you know it. You're a slave at the end of life to death, and there's no escaping it. This word redemption was used of the price that was paid to get people out of slavery. And Paul said that what Jesus did by coming and dying for us on the cross, redemption through his blood, was the price that was paid to liberate slaves. In the ancient world, you could become a slave by birth, by conquest, or by debt. We were born as slaves of sin. Paul will cover that in Ephesians chapter 2. He'll remind us that we are by nature children of wrath, that we're, we're born slaves to sin. But we've also been conquered. Our souls have been conquered by the powers of darkness and our passions catastrophically perverted in directions that are destructive to us. We're slaves of sin. And we're also in debt. We're in debt. We are those people who have done things for which we cannot pay. Who will free us? Well, here's the spiritual blessing, redemption. Jesus has come, and he has paid the redemption price to take you out of slavery into which you were born, to take you slavery out of which you were in because of conquest and to deliver you from the slavery, the indebtedness that we have of sin. Jesus Christ has paid the full price of our redemption, and what a price. It says it was in his blood. When he hung on the cross between heaven and earth, every single moment of his agony led to the point where he cried, paid in full, to telestai in Greek, paid in full. The redemption price has been paid. Translated in English, it is finished. And because Christ has paid the price of your redemption, you are no longer a slave if you put your trust in him, but now a son and part of a royal house. That's the spiritual blessing that you have. Okay, but that's what the Father planned in eternity and the Son accomplished in, in history. How does it come home to us? How, does it, how is it real? Well, Paul goes on to say here in verse 13, he says, You, having heard the message of the gospel, when you heard it and you believed it, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the blessing of the Father, adoption. The blessing of the Son, redemption. Look at the blessing of the Holy Spirit, protection. You're sealed. Again, it's an ancient reference. Documents were sent and authenticated by the seal that was on them. That's a mark of ownership. They were also protected. The contents are protected. Only the person to whom it's going can open and break that seal. And he says the Holy Spirit comes and takes what the Father planned in eternity and the Son accomplished 2,000 years ago in history, and he makes it experientially true in our lives. You see, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would just be a mystical figure in history, somebody who did something long ago who we kind of know about. We know about him, but the Holy Spirit helps us not to know about him, but to know him, to join us to him. You're sealed in him. You're marked in him with the Holy Spirit, who he says is a guarantee 
of the inheritance which comes at the end. That word guarantee, Erebon, means a down payment. The Holy Spirit, get this, is the down payment. The Holy Spirit in your life right now is the down payment on the full inheritance. In other words, what you're experiencing right now is only a partial fulfillment of the glory which is yet to come. Paul said, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered into the heart of man, all that God's prepared for him. And so you can take your richest moment of experience in Jesus right now in the Holy Spirit, and it's just a little thimble full of the ocean that you're going to encounter when you're in God's presence. But the Holy Spirit is the down payment. It's the small portion which you have right now that protects you for what's to come. And you know something? If you default, you lose your down payment. But here's the thing about God. God will, can God the Father and God the Son lose God the Holy Spirit? No. What God has started in you, he will finish. God isn't going to lose his down payment. He's not going to lose the Spirit's work in your life. He's going to bring to completion everything that he did. Why is that so? Because he says you are joined to him. Did you mark all those in him passages there in this song, this anthem of praise? You're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You have redemption through him in his blood. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letters, over 260 times he uses that language being in Christ or Christ in you. Paul said it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives where? In me. So Christ is in us and we are in Christ. My friends, I think sometimes people think of salvation as some kind of membership card. They keep in their wallet that they can show at the pearly gates when they get there. Oh yeah, see, I got this. I signed a card. I walked an aisle. I shook a hand. Here's my membership card. That's not what it is. Salvation is the Holy Spirit bringing you from death to life, and get this, uniting you to Christ. He is in you, and you are in Him. And so not only are you justified and forgiven, but now He's in you, changing you, transforming you, sanctifying you to be holy. As Paul says in this text, you're chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before God. That's what God's doing in your life. That's why Jesus didn't come just to make you happy, He came to make you holy. And sometimes Jesus making you holy will make you unhappy. Aren't you glad you came today? Oh, pastor, I thought you were going to tell me about how Jesus is going to make me happy. No, Jesus is here to make you holy. And his spirit is in you and working that in you until finally we're conformed to his image with jaw-dropping wonder that God could take people like us and turn us into people that look like Jesus. How astonishing, how amazing is that? How? Because he put us in him, and Christ came to live in us. And you need Jesus. You don't need just a membership card. You need Jesus. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. You need it to be in Christ and Christ in you. That's the only thing that changes us. Years ago, when I was in eighth grade, just after the Civil War, it's a long time ago, I was, I got really enthusiastic about golf. Since I've been here, people have asked me, do you play golf? And I don't know why people ask that here, but okay. So, do you play golf? And of course I answer yes, badly. But, and nobody has, you know, said, hey, let's go play. Because anyway, I got nothing to help them with. But um, 
uh, I, I, I really got excited about golf and I started playing. I played all the way through my sophomore year in high school and, and then it was just all basketball. In Indiana, it just was all basketball, so that's the direction I went. And I really rarely picked up a club after that. Uh, but, but when I was in eighth grade, man, I got all excited and I was trying to play. And one, Now, this is going to date me. This really will date me. My favorite player when I was in eighth grade was Lee Trevino. And that is, that, and a whole bunch of you are going, who, what, what, what is a Lee Trevino? And, but some of you know, and I like, I love Lee Trevino, and I couldn't putt worth anything, but there was a Lee Trevino putter. And I just knew if I could buy my Lee Trevino putter, that the ball would go in. <laughs> so I got my Lee Trevino putter, and I went out there, and on the, when I finally got to the green after 37 shots, you know. I'm out there, and I got my Lee Trevino putter, and I lined it up, and I hit it. It didn't go anywhere near the hole. And I said, this club is a total failure. <laughs> and my dad looked over at me and said, the putter isn't the thing, man. If you could get Lee Trevino in you, maybe you could putt. <laughs> Let me tell you, a whole lot of people think Christianity has failed them. They think the church has failed them. I'm going to tell you this right now. The church will fail you. Religion will fail you. I don't care what the religion is. But listen to what the scriptures say. Jesus never fails. He never fails. And if he comes to live in you, your life will be different. You will be in him and he will be in you because the father made you his adopted and Jesus paid the redemption price for your forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit is uniting you to Christ, making him one with you. And so my friend this morning, I want to invite you to give thanks with Paul in this cascade of praise. Thank you for all my spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for choosing me and adopting me. Thank you, Holy Son of God, for dying on the cross and redeeming me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into my life and making Jesus real to me and uniting me to him and him to me. In a bond that can never be severed. Thank you. And if you need Jesus in your life today, you need to drop the putter of religion and actually get him in you, I don't care whether you're young or old, you need Jesus in you and you need to be in Jesus. And you pray today and you say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you chose us in Christ and adopted us as your children. Beautiful Son of God, we thank you that you came and died on the cross to be our Savior, to deliver us from the slavery that we've been in. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come to unite us to Christ. And I pray that across this congregation and online right now, anyone who's listening who needs to be joined to the life of Jesus, not joined to religion, joined to Jesus, would come to him right now and say, Lord, I want to be in you and I want you in me. Take a moment in stillness right now. Do business with God right now. Maybe you need to give thanks to him. Maybe you need to come to him quietly in your heart right now. Talk to the God who loves you.
My friend, the Lord loves your voice. He loves your voice. He wants a relationship with you. And I want to invite you to do with me this morning what Paul did so long ago. To give thanks to God in an avalanche of praise, a cascade of worship. Blessed be because he has blessed us. Stand with me and let's bless the Lord together, shall we? And worship the God of glory.